You are listening to a podcast of The View, where we discuss today's topics from an anti-racist, anti-oppressive, multicultural perspective. This podcast is brought to you by the Church of the Larger Fellowship. To subscribe, visit questformeaning.org or search for Church of the Larger Fellowship in the iTunes store. Thanks, Lori. Yeah. And thanks to all of you for being here. We have a couple of simultaneous things going on here. We have a couple of folks who are here from the UU Trauma Ministry response. I just got that wrong. You'll say it right. Uh, Madeline Campbell and Aaron Payson. We're going to talk with them first briefly just about the crisis. uh, And then we're going to speak with the rest of the people about building online community. Madeline Campbell is serves the UU Church of the Lehigh Valley in Bethlehem, Pennsylvania. She's a chaplain in the Civil Air Patrol and serves on the Commission on Appraisal and volunteers with the UU Trauma Response Ministry. And and, um, as I understand it also, Madeline, you used to be a nurse, is that right? So you you bring medical uh, perspective here. Aaron Payson is minister in Worcester, where he's been for 20 years, a former EMT and one of the founders of the UU Trauma Response Ministry, who has responded to um, all kinds of crises all over, including the bird flu crisis a few years ago. He um, is currently a professor at the sociology department at Worcester State, teaching courses in sociology of religion and death and dying. So um, welcome to both of you. And let's start with you. Um, let's start with the trauma response. What what can you share with us? Madeline, why don't you start with kind of the medical perspective here and, and trauma response perspective? So one of the things that is important to remember about our response in this crisis is that uh, this virus is not particularly deadly, which is why it's spreading so quickly and so fast. Um, in, in pandemics where a disease is very, very deadly, people don't have the opportunity to travel with something and bring it around because people are sick and, and die right away. The, the mortality rate on this, as far as we know right now, is fairly low. That doesn't mean it's not dangerous. It's dangerous uh, particularly to to very vulnerable vulnerable people, and we have a duty to protect those people. And we're learning that it's spreading through through touch, and and we learn more every day. Uh, Information came out last night that it can survive on stainless steel, for example, for two to three days. So it's not enough to say that well, it's okay, nobody's touched that for a day because things can last for a long time. So it's really imperative that if we're still gathering at all, that we are very clear about wiping everything down and not just with a wet paper towel, wiping things down with disinfectant, really cleaning things, maintaining that social distance. Um, If we're still having meetings in person, that we're not touching each other, that we're not doing that thing where we lick the page to right? Uh, because those are all ways that we transmit, that we transmit a virus or, or a bacteria or anything. That's how, that's how we transmit things. This is a virus. Um, so we're urging people to, to pay attention to what's coming out of the CDC and the World Health Organization, 
to look at facts, to be clear about what it is that we can do um, to understand how, how we can protect each other best. And I think Aaron has, has a lot more experience on, on community response to, to those sorts of things. Thanks, Madeline. Aaron? Hi, everyone. Uh, <clears throat> so what I'm mindful about in relationship to this and what I've been sort of thinking through is uh, the word crisis. If you look at the Chinese characters for the word crisis, it's two words, danger and choice point, which got translated for many years as opportunity. <clears throat> and we've been dwelling very much on the danger side of this crisis as well we should in terms of the vulnerability uh, that uh, various parts of the population have. I think for me in relationship to the work that we do in ministry, the real emphasis is on opportunity. And uh, there's been a lot of discussion about should we close, should we move online, things like that. I think the actual question to begin with for me has been, how will you protect the most vulnerable people and encourage the protection of the most vulnerable people that you serve? Uh, and uh, that may well mean that it is time to move things online and to um, uh, be able to demonstrate to uh, your community that you're taking this uh, particular challenge very, very seriously. Um, if you're choosing not to do that at this point, I think it's important to understand that, um, that uh, you um, are engaging in a certain amount of risk um, and that you want to pay attention to what you're, what you're looking for in terms of information. So I've had colleagues that have talked about, well, our schools aren't closed, so why should we close kind of a response? And my response is that's the wrong vector. That is the population that is least likely to see the most extreme uh, response to, uh, to this virus. Uh, and will be likely the last to close for a variety of reasons, including the fact that it's a needed service. And there's a lot of debate now about whether or not you actually increase the possibility of exposure to children by closing schools. So uh, I believe that the conversation begins with who are we serving and who is most vulnerable and how do we um, how do we provide our uh, services and ministry in a way that reduces exposure for for that population. Um, in the congregation that I serve, we began the planning process a few weeks ago by putting together a health and safety team. And we began to address this in a tiered fashion, uh, you know, a phase one response. Uh, and then uh, we are moving into a phase two response, which is now the conversation about um, when do we move more things online and how do we continue to protect vulnerable populations. We are a congregation that uh, has the only food pantry in our zip code. And so the most vulnerable population that we're serving is actually community members that are made vulnerable because they've been marginalized to begin with through um, issues of uh, poverty and, uh, uh, and uh, food insecurity. And so thinking about the strategies about how we continue to give them access to needed resources without continuing to expose them in ways that could do them harm. Uh, from a trauma response ministry team perspective, um, I think it is utmost important for congregations to put together a plan that uh, deals with a variety of issues. 
Uh, one of them is uh, things like uh, a, a plan for um, redundant, redundancy and leadership. Should the people that you rely on to make decisions in your congregation become ill, then the question becomes, how do you continue a continuity of operation in the absence of those people? So a conversation about that, a conversation about communication strategies uh, in relationship to that, um, a, uh, a look at your personnel policies to make certain that staff and others who uh, may uh, have to contend with the, the virus feel like their jobs are not at stake and that they have the resources necessary to treat, to find adequate treatment and adequate time off, uh, to uh, relax your policies around in-person work. I have already gone to the staff at our congregation and said, if you feel vulnerable at this moment, you are welcome to work from home. Uh, and um, you need to let us know if things are going on in your life that uh, make that a challenge as well. Um, the opportunity here is for us to consider um, the modalities in which we do the work that we do. Uh, and I think the reality is that what we're experiencing right now is the tip of the iceberg. I think this is the first major challenge we've seen in a number of years, but given the state of the planet and the state of our country and the world right now in terms of population sizes, um, the, the level of disparity uh, and insecurity that many of our populations are experiencing, um, this is the first of many opportunities we're probably going to have to deal with this. And so um, I consider this an opportunity for us to uh, really learn and deepen the ways in which we engage each other. Um, I would add to this that uh, the ability to have your pastoral care teams think about strategies for reaching out personally to those who are most vulnerable and strategizing with those individuals about access to resources, whether it's groceries, medication, uh, uh, other necessities that they might have uh, to, uh, to think through those things uh, with them and to strategize as a community about how continuing to support that particular population is, is very important. Thanks, Aaron. Has the trauma ministry group written up these recommendations for congregations, you know, to have a communication strategy and to have replication of leadership all that is written somewhere? Um, it was, I, I communicated it to the UUMA chat and uh, posted a couple of different things with that. One was uh, the CDC recommendations related to flu pandemic response in faith-based communities. I want to uh, encourage those who are doing this planning that the CDC has uh, resources specifically for faith-based and community organizations. That is a very fine set of recommendations. And it includes things like thinking through your leadership um, uh, hierarchies and, and uh, structures in terms of redundancy. Uh, and it includes uh, recommendations related to looking at various policies, personnel policies, other things like that. So um, I would have people go to the CDC site and search for faith-based organizations. And one of the things I, I would recommend right now, it, with there being so much information out there, it's it's a little bit information overload um, at this point is kind of trying to drink from the fire hose, is for folks to really um, choose two or three 
places of information of really trusted information. So definitely the CDC and and that particularly that Erin, as you mentioned, that um, that recommendation for faith-based leaders super important. And then choose two others. You know, maybe it's your local health department. Maybe it's the UUA webpage, which they are populating really, really well right now. Um, you know, choose two or three and really focus on those. And yes, you're going to see a lot of stuff come through your, your news feed, but it's going to reduce your anxiety level that you feel like you need to read every single thing that's being posted on social media or in your chat groups or those kinds of things. So, you know, you can make it a practice you know, to check on those maybe once or twice a day, don't check it like every three hours, you know, just like set up a time, I'm going to check it at 10 o'clock, and I'm going to check it at four o'clock. And just really try, you know, as we are called to be the non anxious presence in our communities, um, we need to start modeling that for ourselves as as ways to, to be able to um, take in this information responsibly, and then turn it around in a way that that helps our communities. Amen, Christina. Thank you so much to the trauma ministry folks. Madeline, it looked like you had a final word there. I was just going to say, I think that that's excellent advice. And um, if you're going to look for, for uh, a couple of extra sources, it's not a bad idea to keep up with a trusted local news source as well, because what's happening in Seattle is not what's happening in Wyoming. Right. And, um, Responses in a large city are very different from responses in a rural area where there are six people. So um, keep up with what's happening in your local area as well from a trusted news source. Thank you. Thanks so much to both of you. I'm sure we'll be having you back. We're going to kind of switch uh, a little bit and t- oh. Aaron, what? Oh, you're saying bye. Bye. Yeah. Thank you. I apologize. I'm, I have to head off to, an, to another Thank meeting. So. Fine. Thank you. So we're going to switch gears a little bit and talk to folks who have been connecting um, without a building for and do that in different ways. And um, I'm going to start with you, Jessica Starrockers, because you used to be here on The View. You used to be at CLF as a learning fellow, and now you're in the epicenter of of this uh, pandemic in a tiny little congregation. So I'm really curious to hear what you're doing, what what you recommend, what you've learned, what what you know. Well, um, yeah, so I'm in Bremerton, Washington, which is in Kitsap County. Um, I serve the Kitsap UU Fellowship. Um, we are connected to King County, which is the Eva Center by two commuter ferries. So when this started to happen, Um, in Seattle, we pretty much knew it was already here. Um, I'm lucky that I've got a parish nurse actually at my congregation um, who volunteered for us when I first started. And, uh, you know, at the time I was like, sure, you know, we've got probably 80% or more congregants who are over 60, probably more, I would think actually. When When you say 60, you know, and I think of like, elders we've got probably 80 percent more when you think over 60 it's the majority like yeah most folks are over 60 in my congregation so um so you know the parish nurse volunteered a while ago and and oh my gosh she's been amazing i mean as far as getting us information as far as um you know being able to communicate directly with the health district in our county 
having things so we can catch it like ahead of time and respond proactively to science um, and feel like she knows who we are and has our uh, population in mind when she shares information and what's important. I mean, I would just say, um, get y'all a parish nurse, like, because like, that's a thing that we need to do. And, and I think there's only a handful of them in UU congregations around the country. And as this kind of thing happens and we're aging as a faith, honestly, you know, um, that we need to start thinking about having folks in house nurses who are ready to respond to this kind of situation. So her name is Jennifer Ingalls and she's awesome. So shout out Jennifer. Um, we've got two cases on, on the Island that I live on. Um, we've actually got lots of sick people of all ages. So I think that's a thing when you're thinking about it coming into your community, the thing to be aware of is that this isn't just about, uh, do you have COVID-19 and are you of a vulnerable population? But it's like, folks are about to get sick of all ages, like real sick. And, um, they're not going to get tested. Most of the folks out here right now who are super sick are self-quarantining. Did I say that right? Yes. Well, whatever, you get it. And there's no tests. There's no tests out here. So we don't know who has it and who doesn't. And like I said, it's all ages. We have little kids who have 104 temperature and it's super stressful. Um, Yeah. So that's what I would say to that. I think as far as, um, you know, the challenges um, in a congregation like mine is that folks don't, they've never heard of Zoom. They don't know how to get on YouTube. They don't, sometimes don't have computers. Um, They, you know, go to the library to check their email. Um, So to say, okay, we're all going to go online, like they don't even know they don't check their email for days. They don't even know we're not having service. So we have to try to figure out ways of getting information to folks who don't have any reference point for, for what we're trying to do. And so I think we've been talking for years, right, about how to get these folks online and teach them how to use Google Docs, you know, because we've got leadership that doesn't know how to use Zoom or Google Docs, and it kind of hampers our communication abilities. And then something like this happens, and we're like, oh, wow, you know, we really should have got on that before. So I saw that one congregation in the East is doing Zoom um, things every week to try to teach people now how to use Zoom sort of before it really hits. And I think that's the smartest thing you can do. Start having daily Zoom teach-ins, you know, and just get people comfortable with tech as soon as you can, uh, because then you're not like us where we're already isolated from one another, trying to figure out how to get back together. And um, it's a major disruption. And the other thing that I would say too is, um, you know, we, we have not had what I would call circles of care. We have sort of opt-in chalice circle groups, but now we've got a huge swath of folks who aren't connected to small group ministry that I need to go back now and capture and sort of bring in. And um, that's tough. And to try to figure out where are they and what have they got going on? I mean, it's, I've done a lot of manual, just like spreadsheeting of 
folks to try to make sure no one's falling through the cracks. Um, yeah, that's, that's just the sort of, you know, you doing online services or is that not a thing where you are? Nope. We're doing online services. So, um, we're in a county that has uh, two UU congregations. So the other minister and I have actually partnered together to do joint online stuff to try to make this like an opportunity for, hey, guess what? Like we're all in this together and we might be, you know, uh, isolated in our homes, but look, we're all UUs in this county. And it's been a thing we've also wanted to do for a while of like, hey, we don't need to be separate just because we're two congregations, we can be one. And so our last service, this was our first online service last Sunday, we did, I went over to their offices and we had both of our communities on YouTube together in the chat and just calling each other out and saying, hey, you know, like I see you so-and-so, because really I think, and here's my opinion, it's not about whether you can provide like the best sermon right now or whether you can provide worship that is like, um, you know, I don't know what you're used to doing, like some kind of high level, like quality thematic thing. Like this is about connecting. And so I think like YouTube is great for that. Facebook live is great for that, but really zoom is the best. So you can see each other. You can connect. The thing I've been saying to folks is if you want like a worship, worship thing, go to CLF on Sunday, like evening, like go there and get that. Cause people are working hard at CLF to create those things. What you could do for your community is get everybody online and just like thinking about how important it is to be together. Like that's your theme now for, for a while. Yeah. I, can I just uh, jump in for a minute? Because we have folks who that's not going to be an option. We we're calling them. We're literally like, hey, yeah. Yeah. and so the minister, we have a, a pastoral care team that's actually quite large. Uh, and then uh, online, the, our younger members, like under 60, are saying, hey, I can drop off groceries. And so uh, there's connections also out. Yes, to what you're saying. If you can get folks online, absolutely do that. And we're calling folks. I mean, like I said, 30 people over 90. And so um, we've had we've been on top of that for a while of mailing letters, cards. Um, we have an amazing membership director, Nicole Duff. And so we are calling people. The minister and the pastoral care team are, are making phone calls. That's great. Somebody on late suggested that when we speak, we say where we are. I think they missed the introductions. So um, if, if we can remind people, Jessica, you're on which island? Bainbridge? What island are you on? Bainbridge Island in Washington. Island. So in the epicenter there. Antonio, were you speaking? I was just going to say that. Okay, that's great. Well, thank you, Jessica. And I think those of us further out can continue to learn a lot from people who are in the Seattle area, uh, who are kind of the first, first church responders. So let's move on to Michael Slack. Uh, Michael is, Reverend Michael Slack is with, oh, now I got to scroll up because there's so many comments, blue. Um, and where did it go? Come on, Michael. Um, they've been doing worship for a while online that I, I don't go to, obviously, but I hear they're wonderful and very connective. And, um, and Michael is really the heart of that. And also one of the co-founders of the Transforming Hearts Collective, which is also really relevant here because they help congregations develop resources uh, to commit to a cultural shift that fosters radical welcome. 
And um, that is certainly um, central to what we're talking about right now. And um, he, he also, I just have to say this, such a beautiful introduction. He's Wilma's son and Megan and Monica's brother and Lelena's honey and Zora's daddy. And so I love that. So Michael, what have you learned from, do, from gathering people from across the, the land together about online gatherings? Um, you know, one of the, the one of the first things that I've encountered, and, and it's good to be here. It's good to see all of you. It's good to have all of us together um, during this time. This is this is a hard time, right? Um, and it's impacting all of us in really deep ways. Um, and, and so, so it feels good to be talking about this together. Um, you know, one of the things that I encountered initially around online worship was was a lot of fear around it. Um, like, what is how on earth am I going to get anything meaningful <laughs> sitting in a Zoom room? It's just not possible. Like, well, you know, I think talking to people about being open to possibility, um, about being open to to something that they've not experienced before um, is really helpful. And, and it's, it's taken a while to, to have some folks sort of shift that thinking. Um, but that was some of the initial struggle that we had. Um, also, you know, Zoom is... is Zoom is a really great platform for worship. Um, we started doing, uh, we started offering um, regular and consistent online worship since September 2017. There were, I think, three or four uh, online services uh, that we had hosted um, leading up to that. But, you know, thinking about what it means to hold space for folks uh, in a particular setting, what folks really need um, in that setting. I mean, I mean, for, you know, for all the reasons that we, that we know already, um, or that, and that many of us have talked about already, you know, black folks <clears throat> in our faith have often felt very isolated um, from UU congregations because they're predominantly white spaces. Um, and so folks often didn't feel at home in those spaces for all kinds of reasons. And so we're kind of left either deciding to be there um, or just deciding not to do anything at all, not to go to someplace at all and not be connected to community at all. Um, and so this is a way to acknowledge <clears throat> no, you don't have to be in a brick and mortar setting. You don't have to be in a building altogether to be connected to one another, um, right? The internet offers that opportunity. And so um, and so, one of the main challenges is really getting people to be open to that possibility. Um, once folks were open, and for those of us who were, it was just a matter of thinking about what people needed in that space um, and crafting uh, a liturgy that, that makes good sense to folks in that space, um, that feels good, right? That feels right. Um, that feels like home um, to folks in those spaces. Um, it, music is an interesting uh, is an interesting challenge. You know, folks really want congregational singing. Folks want to sing together, right? Uh, which is one of the really was one of the real benefits of being in a space all together. Um, but you know, the internet is the internet's tricky that way, <laughs> right? There's just a little bit of a delay. So when everybody's singing together, it actually sounds like a lot of gibberish. <laughs> Um, so it doesn't work as well, uh, which is hard. But what that sort of invites me and, and others who um, who are crafting these services every month, um, we do two services uh, a month. Um, and for each of them, it really requires um, some serious and, 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 and really meaningful curation of, um, of music. And we usually do that over YouTube, um, right? We have a YouTube account. Um, and, and I would say if, you, if you're going to do music that way, um, offering, having a YouTube account uh, 
is the best way to do that because without one, you're you're susceptible to have to having to deal with ads in between videos, um, which is jarring spiritually, right? It's always it's all it's already difficult sometimes to be sitting in a computer in front of a computer to have worship, um, but then you have to deal with an ad <laughs> in between music. That's that's tough. So I would definitely suggest having a YouTube account um, if you don't have one. Um, <clears throat> And just being really intentional. I listen to a, a lot of music, a lot of music, um, depending on the theme, um, and and also being mindful of the fact that you know when we tend to show up in in space, we're showing up with with various spiritual journeys, um, various understandings of faith and connection, and so so we're playing also playing different genres of music, right? Um, one service could very easily have some rap by Kendrick Lamar and some gospel by, you know, the Georgia Mass Choir and you name it, right? Some some dirty computer by Janelle Monet. Like it really just depends on what's happening in the moment. But, um, you know, speaking about opportunities, like online services offer a unique um, opportunity for us to really offer music that speaks to the theme that is really varied. Um, um, and, and people really enjoy that. People really, really love that. Um, so, and then we share the playlists um, in, in Blue's closed group. Um, it, so if you can't come to the service, you at least have a list of all of the music that gets played um, during the service. So that's also really helpful to people. Um, we weren't doing this at first, but we usually give folks an opportunity to come in early. Um, and, and we actually have a separate playlist with music playing softly in the background. Like it helps give people a soft place to land uh, when they show up um, and to get settled for that. Um, there are typically, you know, some of the things you might find uh, in, in a service in a space, you would find in our services. There's usually some reflection um, or a homily of some kind. Um, we like the chalice. Some people bring their own chalices. Um, I have a chalice that I usually light. It kind of sits above my shoulder here. Um, so we do that. Um, but then we do other kinds of things that, are, that I think in some ways are really specific to, to our experiences as Black folks. Um, and so, so we try to be mindful of what folks' needs are. And, and it, it, it goes really well. Um, some, days we might have, some days we might have 10 people come. And sometimes we might have 30 people come. Um, so it, it, it really just depends on the season and what folks are, are in, in the midst of. We're actually asking <laughs> a, a really meaningful question right now about whether or not we should actually offer a third service um, because there are folks who can't come to either uh, on either the first Thursday or third Sunday. Uh, we have one coming up um, this Sunday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Um, so we're thinking about offering a third one. It, it's, it's, it's beautiful space. We, Meditation we, works really, really well on yeah. Zoom worship, the way you lead it, Michael. Yeah, yeah, it, it really, it works really, really well. Being attentive to, to, to silence and what space means, um, being mindful of, of inviting people to share who haven't had a chance to, um, you know, I, I always enjoy people participating more in our brick and mortar congregations in ways that folks don't often. But so we have to be really intentional as well about inviting people into the space and participating um, in that online setting, um, which is which is also a little challenging 
for some folks. So, so, so I could go on and on, but there, there are all kinds of things to be, to, to be considerate of in these spaces, um, but it, they really matter. They really matter. Thank you, Michael. That's a, that's a great start to really talking about creating sacred space online, mm -hmm. yeah. um, which, is, which is really possible. Mm -hmm. So um, I think, I, I don't want to be rude to our other guest, uh, Suzanne, who is here with a group that's about to start online worship that we really want to hear about. But I do want to talk a little bit from CLF's perspective, because we've been doing this for eight years now. And Antonia right now is our senior learning fellow in the worship team. So I'm really glad that Antonia is here to, to um, work with me on this. But I just, I, some of what Michael said is so important and, and might feel like it was casual. So I wanna, I wanna say that what Michael said about playing amazing music, you can do in Zoom, but you can't do that if you're on YouTube or if you're on a public, you can only do that in a private space. So. Uh, YouTube, even though we had permission from musicians to use their music, if the producers who make the money on the music haven't given that permission, you will be shut down by YouTube. And Facebook will just start blowing you out if you try to do music that's not approved. So this is why even though Zoom feels kind of like private, and in a way we'd rather be very public, the copyright issues are profound when you're out on a public platform. So Zoom really does open up, particularly for recorded music, um, the world to you because you're using, you're using material that is public, you're not making money on it and you can put it out and share the playlist publicly and say, here it is. So, so that's one thing I really wanted to lift up. We do have everybody light the chalice at CLF and we always have and it's one of the most wonderful parts is that we light a chalice and then everybody says where they are, the chalice is lit here. So there's a long stream and you really feel like you're part of a community of people. And if you're doing this locally, you could just say the part of town or the street or, you know, but it really does gather people. To, and, and I love knowing someone in Japan and so, you know, people that I'm worshiping with, with a community that is gathered. So. So we do that and then we always extinguish this chalice and people say, I carry the flame at the end. So we have a couple of pieces that people say every week that are the same. And then we always invite engagement. And Antonia, maybe you'd like to talk about the engagement because you've been engaging people. Okay, um, we've had a few questions about how we do worship. I first want to just make sure that we lift up that the blue worship is beautiful. Um, Michael does lots of live music. I think that Michael, I was there last week, having original artists is important in the live music that you do. And at CLF, we do it a little bit differently. So I'm excited about people being able to experience worship in so many different ways and to have connections in so many different places all over the world. How do we do worship at CLF? We use a Zoom room um, what you're experiencing right now is not how we do worship. What are we doing right now and how can I talk to the people in the chat room? What we're doing exactly right now is that we have the um, host in the chat room and Lori can talk about the technical stuff. We have the host in the chat room and we are broadcasting through a Zoom room over YouTube. And so when you ask questions, I copy them and I put them in the chat space in um in our zoom room and Lori, just jump in whenever you want to the way that we do worship is that we use a zoom room and we pre-record our worship um <clears throat> so we have a set amount of hymns that we have in the beginning 
um, with different pictures. I think it's really important that you use high quality photographs um, and there are different places that you can get them from that you don't have a copyright on them. Um, and then when it comes time for the, the beginning of the service, when we talk about like lighting our chalice and um, our opening, those things are live. So we have one person using a, they're, they're sharing their screen basically through Zoom to DJ the service. And then we have another person who is uh, talking to the people and, and engaging them through the chat box in Zoom. And then that same, that DJ is sometimes that person or the person that comes on live can be that person. And um, what we do is when our welcome comes up, we come up and we do a welcome of whatever thing that we want to do. It's important that you remember that time is different in a Zoom room than it is in worship. So a 20 minute, 20 minute sermon is not gonna work. It will not work. I'm gonna repeat it, it will not work. People will leave, it's too long. So our welcome is maybe one to two minutes, I would say in something like this COVID issue, maybe three minutes where you're really addressing who you are, what you're going to do, why you're so happy to have people in community, really hitting, the, hitting those buttons of connection. And then we go back and we share our screen again and we go to a thing that, and it happens either way, we can go on through to lighting the chalice, you come up again, you light the chalice and you say like, I'm this person, you know, um, you can have it recorded or you can have it live. I think that people at this point, maybe it should be a live thing because people are concerned. Um, I forgot to say that the, as you see us in the, the boxes, those boxes are not up. We've found that at CLF, some people are really not comfortable showing their faces and being, you know, on Zoom. Some people are, I noticed that at um, Blue, they are, and I think it's beautiful. So figure out what works well for you. It may work well in your bricks and mortar to have them so that people can see each other. We light the chalice and people, we have a saying, the chalice is lit. I think Meg talked about that. Then we have our homily and it's a homily for a reason. It's probably seven, to 10 minutes, depending on how long this other thing we have, which is a thing too, which blows my mind. I wish we had this in bricks and mortar. The thing too is what connects to your sermon. So I like to think of it as what I wish I could say, but I really can only show it in a video to really think of another visual way to connect to our sermon. And the thing too is another video. It could be a um, TED talk, it could be, something you find on YouTube. It can be whatever you want it to be. It could be, I mean, it could be your time for all ages if you choose it to be. And that could be live if you choose it to be. It really just, the, the sky is the limit on the thing too. And sometimes we have a thing too in the beginning that sets up your homily and a thing too in the end that brings it together. The homily is really important that you have pictures that you have something that really hits home with what you're saying. I like to say the homily, it's kind of cool because you can actually 
put that picture that you have when you write that sermon, the thing that actually gave you the seed for the sermon, you can find a picture to drop in to your pre-recorded sermon. It's going to be different if it's not a pre-recorded sermon. So I recommend pre-recorded, but you can do whatever you want. If you drop it into that pre-recorded sermon, it's the thing that you can't actually find the words for. And I've noticed with our pre-recorded sermons that people are really tied to our, our photographs that we're dropping in. And um, another thing that's different from, from worship is that in that chat box, you are getting live feedback <laughs> about your whole service, which is interesting <laughs> because you're getting all the feedback. No one feels like they need to hold back. <laughs> and so you're getting good and bad. And in your live portions, you get to adjust. So that's really neat. And at the end, we extinguish the chalice. We have music that goes out. But this is not like a prescription for what you need to do. These are some ideas for what you need to do, what you can do. And in our time where our congregations are not connected in person, you'll find your way. This is really not as hard as it looks, this requires you to have creativity and to just think outside of the box. We say we're always in beta at CLF and it's true. When you do service like this, you are always in beta. And the wonderful thing is if you see how I'm leaning in and I'm talking to you, it feels really intimate. This is the connection that works. And this is why it works. Thank you so much, Antonia. There's more to say, and we may go over today, but I do want to bring in our final guest. So I'm really excited. Uh, Suzanne Fast. Oh, I was there with her. Lori, are you trying to say something? Okay. Uh, blah, blah, blah. Suzanne Fast is a community minister focusing on disability-related social justice, advocacy, education, and pastoral ministry, primarily through equal access. As part of her online ministry, she's on a team that's been developing online worship for disabled UUs. Um, she's also on the UUA Board of Trustees and is one of the creators of the Accessibility and Inclusion Ministry Program for Congregations. So Suzanne, welcome. And I'm really excited to hear what you all are, are planning. Well, it's been interesting. Uh, it's, it's an interesting time to be in the stage of this that we're, we've been in. We've been planning this and working at this and, and expecting to launch this in April. And then all of a sudden, everybody's talking about this. It's, it's, uh, it's changed the whole thing. Um, our situation has been um, uh, complicated because we are trying to balance being as accessible as we possibly can with the reality of having no budget. Um, and uh, we've learned a lot from the experiences that our folks have had over the years with other kinds of online worship and accessibility problems there. Um, and so some of the things that uh, I'm going to talk about what we're, what we're trying, um, I'm also going to talk a little bit about um, how that might connect if you're trying to do this in a congregational situation. Um, so one of the things is folks who use um, screen readers, uh, the way those work is that if there's text, it reads it to you out loud. And that's a, a really amazing, great benefit of the technology of our world right now. 
However, um, if we're talking like this and somebody is typing in the chat at the same time, if somebody using a screen reader has the chat open, they're going to hear me talking and they're going to hear the chat being read to them at the same time. And um, so the only option for them is to turn off the chat. So if a lot of your community is happening in the chat, then people are being left out of the community. And so that's just an important thing to, to have in mind. And for us, we realized that it's not just folks who use screen readers, but a lot of, of, a lot of people, um, including me, find it difficult to pay attention to the chat and to what's being said at the same time for all kinds of uh, cognitive reasons. So what we're doing is minimizing the use of the chat for chatting, uh, at least the chat to everyone feature of Zoom, and we are using Zoom. Um, you know, one-to-one -one, uh, conversations in Zoom don't affect it. Um, but what, we, what that's opened up for us is using the chat for transcripting. And so when we're working with prepared text, then we have a, a, a file, a, a word file with all that text in it. And so in each section, we can just post that in the transcript so that folks who, uh, who need written text rather than listening to speech can also be present and in the same moment because the text is there. So we're using it uh, for, for um, transcribed as we go sort of thing. And we're also experimenting with what we've been referring to as self-captioning. So that um, after you say something, um, can you also put it in the chat? And how disruptive is that for our screen reader folks? This is why we're still in a testing stage of figuring these things out. Um, also, if you, uh, we use a, a Zoom professional account, a, a paid Zoom account, but it's an ordinary paid Zoom account. It's not the special business kind, which is uh, multi-license and, and um, all that. So regular, if you have a regular paid Zoom account, you can have live captioning. Live captioning, um, unless somebody on your team is accustomed to doing live captioning or is a court reporter or uh, it's difficult to live caption uh, everything. It, it, it's really hard. We've, we have people who are good typists. We can't do it. Um, you, can, you can pay to have a service do it and Zoom makes that quite easy. Um, it's not in our budget, but it's, it's relatively modest, but it's, you know, several dollars a minute. Um, so it does add up. So what we found with the live caption part of it is one of the things that we're doing, because um, sing-alongs and things like that are difficult, but we're, we're doing work with adapting responsive readings so that the response is fairly short. It's one line, basically. 
And so if it's not all synced up, it's not terribly disruptive, but it does bring everybody into participating in the service. And we're using the closed caption box for that, to put the one line up that people are going to say. Um, so those are some of the things that we're learning uh, through what we're doing that might be useful to folks in other contexts. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm, I, we've been aware throughout with CLF that there are accessibility issues and it's sad that it does come down to money and it's wrong, but yeah, the, the closed captioning being um, really high. I wanted to say a few more things about, um, about CLF before, before we go on. I think people, and Jessica already said this, this isn't about creating the perfect sermon. This isn't about, this isn't about delivering the message. And, and it needs to be a very lateral kind of communication. You know, people do not want to be talked down to on the internet. That, that's not, people are looking for company. They're looking for companionship. They're looking, and this is always true, but even more now, to know that they are not alone, to know that they have a people. They have people. And so I think when you decenter, and this is for the ministers who are watching, who are really used to thinking about that sermon being just so critical, it's really not. It really is not. What's critical is that you're there, you care, you're gathering the people, and you're together. And that's the sermon. Jessica said it week after week. That's the sermon. Here we are. It's so great we're together. Antonia said it. That's our live welcome. It means so much that we're here. We do joys and sorrows where people can type their joys and sorrows while music plays. We also have a reflection question every week, which is when people focus on the text and they don't have to listen to, um, no one's talking at the same time. So while people may chat during the sermon when they really share, and I would say with those reflection questions, to keep them very simple and very answerable, not to get all lofty with, what do you think is the meaning of this or that? Just like, how are you making it another day? That's basically your question. How are you sharing yourself with the world? Where do you give your gifts? Where do you know? And so you're, you're going back to your mission over and over with that reflection question. How are you living your life as a Unitarian Universalist? What, you know, what, where are you? Where are you giving and receiving? And so those are the points of interaction. And, and I think, um, and I, as I said, I'm working with a local church that'll be um, going, I think it'll be a very, very short homily, probably on Zoom, a lot of poetry works because it's short, interspersed with music, lots of short pieces, many more short pieces, um, really just, 20 minute sermons are over folks. They're just over. They're, they're with handshakes and you know, they're just gone. They're, they're not here now. If you're gonna be online, I'm sorry if I've already written three great ones. Cause, and if you, if you have something you've gotta say, break it up and put music in between. People are gonna cut you off. I mean, and you can look at your analytics and you can, you can watch the numbers diminish when you start to go on too long, because as has this been said, I think Antonia said it, people will tell you what they think, you know, people are going to, people are going to be real. And, and I actually preach live at CLF, because I just got tired of making videos last year. And, and I like it, and I can actually look at the chat and respond to it. 
you know, and that's the other thing is when you do joys and sorrows and then you do a live pastoral prayer, you can look at what people wrote and you can work them into your pastoral prayer. They're right there in front of you in writing. You don't even have to remember them, you know? And so it gives you um, wonderful material to engage with. And again, I'll just say it one more time and then I, I wanna hear from other people, but the number one goal here is engagement. And Antonia, sure, talk about the pastoral aspects. I think that the thing that surprised me most when I started um, the reflection question, I was kind of annoyed. I'm like, I just, I, I preached the thing. I had a thing too, like, what am I asking this question for? And the reason you ask that question is that there is a pastoral aspect that happens in a community. The community takes care of itself in a way that you don't get to see in a bricks and mortar right of way. So when you ask that question, be prepared for people to go deeper than they would normally go in your bricks and mortar church in a community setting. And just be prepared. Just know that there's a pastoral aspect that happens and a pastoral care aspect that happens. And you can generally trust the community to take care of it as well. You just right. kind of put in the, 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 the box there and it happens. It's beautiful. Can I, uh, I was going to, oh, I'll sorry. say one thing and then everybody's coming in. Michael, Jessica here. So we have somebody doing tech and somebody else doing the pastoral response. So the tech person is a tech person. And with congregations going online, I recommend a second tech person whose phone number is known for people to call who can't get on. Um, because the other thing is, if you don't have a tech person offline, everybody will be chatting about their tech issues. So if you can say, take it over there, because the chat can just go down that tech misery really fast. So you want to prevent that from happening. Michael, go on. Um, one of the things I wanted to share, thank you all for, for talking about the pastoral care aspects of all of this. You know, it, it really matters in this kind of space, especially when folks are, generally speaking, sitting by themselves in front of a computer, um, it's, it, 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 there are opportunities to remind folks that the only person there who has something to offer isn't the person who's giving the reflection, right? That everybody, everyone is a teacher in this space. Everyone can be a ministerial presence in this space. Um, and so, for example, one of the things that we started, that we instituted, I guess maybe a year ago now, or a year or more ago, um, we have a self-care moment as part of our worship. So we invite at least one person to say one thing that they've been doing um, for self-care since the last time we gathered, right? Something that's lower, no cost, something that any and all of us could do. And so somebody, one or two people get to share that, right? Um, another thing that, that folks often get to do is as part of that reflective time, um, we, you know, sometimes I like to call it the people sermon. It's like the homily isn't just the thing that you have prepared. It is actually what happens in community as part of what was shared, right? And to be able to say that to folks, like this isn't just about me coming in here telling y'all stuff. This is about how we can all figure out how to hold space together and, and being really intentional about that language. Um, that language is, it really invites people in, um, in a way that will help people feel way more comfortable than they might ordinarily be um, in, this, in this kind of setting. Um, it really, really makes a huge, huge, huge difference. Um, and, and one other thing I wanted to share just in terms of relatability and just people being comfortable in the space, you know, one of the things that we say uh, all the time to people is, you know, if you're, if you're here and you're here and have video capacity, don't hesitate 
don't hesitate to shut your video down. If you need to lay down during worship, lay down. If you don't want people to see, you know, like, like saying those things, like not just trusting that people will know how they can be in this space, but really making it clear to people, you know, you can be here however you need to be here, as long as you're here, like it matters most that you're here. Um, I think being really intentional in that language can help people feel really comfortable. That's one of the things that is super important in what we're doing of creating space where being disabled is, is what is normal. Um, because we, we flat out say, you know, if you need to move around, move around, you know, if, if fidgeting is your thing, that's what you need to do to be able to be here and be authentically who you are, do that. And I encourage other, other spaces to, uh, to extend that kind of welcome to people. Uh, it makes a difference. Yeah, folks are self-conscious and if they want to turn off their video, of course they should, uh, feel free to, to do that. I will also say that an awful lot of people um, read lips more than they realize they do. And so especially if you're going to be talking, if you can have your video camera on, a lot of people are going to hear you better. Well, I was going to lift up um, just what Michael said earlier, actually, about the invitation in this to folks who are in the chat or sharing like that that invitation to participate is critical and if you can build as many places in your service where that invitation is the more you will get out of it the more everybody will get out of it so like entering in and inviting people to share their name in the chat you know partway through doing a moment where everybody does a joy and sorrow i mean like then having a intention setting. I mean, you just like everywhere that you can invite folks to participate. So what I'm really hearing from from all of you um, throughout this time that we've that we've shared together, and and I think this is critical. I, I think one of the things that since you all are doing this so much um, that we miss is for folks that are in the brick and mortar churches is don't try and recreate your Sunday service online. Like if you can take one thing away from what, and everybody, you can't see everybody right now, but everybody on the panel is nodding. Um, don't try and recreate, don't take your order of service that you do every Sunday and try and do that online. That is just not going to work. Um, now is the time to go and view several of the Church of the Larger Fellowships online worship services um, and look and see what CLF is doing and, and really try and reimagine what that is going to be. Reimagine what that's going to be as a um, multi-generational experience because you're going to have families who are participating in this together um, who are, you know, going to be, you're going to have me and you're going to have the two kids and maybe a spouse or, you know, whatever that configuration is, maybe a pet. Um, so what does that mean to have that multi-generational experience? I think we can do a whole nother show, hopefully on what faith development looks like, um, online. Um, but we really, really need folks to hear 
that you need to you need to kind of take that order of service and take the things that make your congregation you. So whatever those rituals are that make your congregation like your congregation just isn't going to be able to to know what to do with themselves if they don't have that particular part of it and figure out how to do that online. But but please, um, we're, we're telling you from our hearts um, really to, to reimagine what this is going to look like. Which and, is, and if, as Karen Payson said, a great opportunity, right? It's um, maybe something, uh, you know, as Jess mentioned, I wish we had done this earlier with getting people online, but maybe reimagining worship is a great opportunity. I just wanted to name that astute and regular uh, viewers will know that we're usually done by now, but we're going on a little bit longer. And we're also gonna take this up again next week because there's so much to say. Um, I'll say that CLF is being inundated with congregations asking for help that we do not have the capacity to provide one-on-one -on -one, and this is in lieu of that. So I'll do a few more really like detail-y things, but Michael's gonna say something more profound, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't know about that. Um, um, I, I saw a question that I wasn't sure that we had answered was how long our services are. Um, and, and, you know, for for ours, um, they run anywhere from an hour and a half uh, to two, depending. So I just wanted to respond to that oh, question. That's the black church. <laughs> CLS <laughs> after short. And CLS that's after funny. 45 minutes. That is funny. <laughs> I was going to say about an hour. 45 minutes. <laughs> Half an hour. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so A, I, I do hope we do a whole show on faith development because one thing I do want to name clearly, don't do our whole lives online. That was stated clearly by Melanie Davis from the UUA. There are other things we could do. I also want to name... One of the other opportunities, uh, it's not exactly about worship, but it's about collaborative leadership. So for our ordained colleagues who've been and claimed and love their authority, please share it now. Now is the time to talk to the board president. We, I am so proud of the East Shore Unitarian Church staff and board. We have been granted, I'm like Miss Collaborative Leader, however, uh, we've all come together in a way that the, the foundation is there. So there is no argument. It's like, okay, here's what we need to do. Here's the person who knows the best about that. So this is also an opportunity to really engage in collaborative leadership because this is not the time to power hoard. I mean, it's not really, where you, what are you, you going to do with it? Like, you know, I understand why you're hoarding toilet paper, but not authority or power. So I just wanted to name that. Thank you all. Thanks, Aisha. Yeah, I will certainly say, and it's been true from day one, that the Learning Fellows, we're all in it together. Uh, because the minute you think you've got it, the technology changes anyway. So there is no, oh, I'm, I'm the authority. And if people look to me for that, you will be solely disappointed. Um, we are always, we've always been a collaborative team at CLF right from the get-go. And the fact that Learning Fellows are so critical, I think, is because this kind of worship is, it's a learning, it's, it's all about learning. The whole, the whole thing is about learning, not just the technical skills, but also the, um, you can't do it alone. You, you just, you can't do it alone. So I just wanted to say that I, I think for colleagues who feel like out, out of your depth, we are, <laughs> we are completely out of our depth in every way. And um, so look around and see who's who's next to you, I would say. It's, um, 
you know, you're going to need leadership that you may not have. I've been thinking about this in the bricks and mortar I'm in. I don't know who has the tech skills there because I haven't needed them before. So now I'll be reaching out and, and, you know, but people like ushers can still be ushers online, right? You're still going to need that kind of friendly greeting and welcoming new people and all of those things translate, but other things don't. And so, you know, I've, I've been, I have one more week before we do this, but, you know, thinking, who do I know who's, who can do video? And you, I'll just say this, having one camera that's still in the back of a room isn't interesting even when the room is full, but with an empty room, it's going to look like C-SPAN. I mean, it's just going to be really kind of depressing for people. So if you're in the church, which is a fine place to film, close-ups, you want to be, you want to see people's face. You want to see people's expressions. You do not need to see their robe and their pulpit and that whole body. And, and I, I really um, will say again, that I think that that leadership coming down is, is a losing proposition, maybe everywhere, but certainly online, um, that, that it needs to be very lateral leadership, which I think most of our folks do. I think in the pulpits that are super high and people are physically used to looking up, it's going to feel really different to be looking across. And, and things like that, the visuals are transformative. I mean, the, the visuals change it. I also think you can tell more stories online. Um, uh, if you're going to have some like long quote, I would say to use it, to pull it out and print it too, because long quotes, if somebody's telling you some long quote, it, you know, it, it's hard to, um, it's hard to take it in. And so it's a, it's a reinforcement. Anyway, there's so much more to say. Um, let's do final words. And then we are, I think we're going to stick with this topic next week. Thank you so much to all the guests. You asked amazing questions. We didn't get to most of them. What we'll do is take them and look at them as we form a group to answer next week's questions. So final words uh, from our guests first. Suzanne? Now is the time to experiment and to be gentle with one another. Nice. Always good words. Michael? Um, you know, I, I wanted to say something really briefly. Um, you know, I know that when, you know, when I was like, yeah, we, we're, we're hanging out for an hour and a half or two together. And, and this notion that, it, that it's black church, you know, I want to, I want to challenge people on that a little bit. You know, the reality is uh, what we've worked really hard to try and do is, is create a space that people really want to stay in. Amen. Amen. And right. Like people want to, people want to be there. I made a presumption that we would be there for an hour and 15 and everybody would be like, like, no, we got to get out of here, but people want to stay. And if we can work together, uh, I thank you for what you said, Aisha, about being collaborative um, in this work. If we really are willing to work together to create the kinds of spaces, to co-create the kinds of spaces where people want to really want to be in, we could be there for as long as we need to be, not as long as we have to be. Um, and so, so I, I'm excited about continuing to do that and, and being in collaboration with folks all over the place who are excited to do it for the first or second or third time. So thank you all for having me. Amen. And, and I, I mean, this is word that comes back consistently that those spaces are such deep oases. I'll also point out that you're doing that once a month and we're doing weekly services. And so, you know, there are just going to be differences for wherever anybody is twice a month. 
wherever anybody is, it's going to be cultural. There, there are going to be pieces, and um, and I encourage you to do what works where you are. Jessica, my final word is that um, tech is is accessible to you no matter your age, weight, gender, sexuality, race. I mean, I feel like there's some assumptions that people put on others and assumptions that uh, we put on ourselves about um, who and who isn't going to be able to not just access the tech and understand it, but lead it. So um, invite in everybody who's interested. If, if someone who is you know, 80 years old has an interest in leading some tech and like, this is the opportunity, like, you know, just to, um, for everybody to get involved and know that this is accessible to anyone who's um, able and interested. Thanks. Antonia. I wanted to say um, for Blue Space, I, I was surprised that it lasted so long the first time I was there. And then I realized that Blue had done something brilliant. They took small group ministry and Sunday service and combined it. And it makes such an interesting and rich experience. And so I think that's really cool. And I wanna say that I, at about an hour and 15 minutes, Michael, you know me, I'm like, okay, we're good. <laughs> and it's okay, I never feel like, I'm, I'm like, no one is pressuring you to be there, right? So it feels good. Also, I wanted to say, I learned this from Meg and it sounds really strange. Smile when you're talking about horrible things online because when you don't smile a little, it makes it even more horrible. And also sit at an angle and find your light. All right, <laughs> that's what I have for you, have fun. Thank you, Lori. <clears throat> I want to also point out from a, a universal design for living perspective, this is the accessibility aspect of, of being online. A lot of the techniques that people were talking about today don't just apply to people who use screen readers, um, like not talking over each other in the chat and then on the visual, that helps all kinds of people who process uh, language in different ways and auditory and visually. That helps all of us become more accessible. We had so many questions in the chat that we're gonna get to in the future around how we do this so that it's accessible to people of all ages. Some of these um, techniques that work online also work for people of, of multiple generations. So this whole UDL ex, um, approach really is something to keep in mind as you're designing and redesigning and letting go of um, how it's always been done in your brick and mortar church when you start to move your uh, opportunities for connection to online spaces. So that's what I have to say today. And there's Let's so say, without Lori, CLF would just <laughs> not be itself at all. So grateful every day. Christina? Um, I'm going to represent us to our top of the hour um, of, you know, making sure that folks are finding th two to three really um, good sources of information and making sure that they're just checking those and maybe just checking it twice a day, not every 20 minutes. Um, and then also um, 
you know, not trying to recreate Sunday morning online, like really trying to, to get out of that box. And, and I'll answer um, George Carville's uh, question because I, I, I just feel an, op an obligation to, to really say this. The question was, in a time before church leaders decide to stop holding in-person services, what are thoughts about streaming the service for folks who want to self-quarantine? And my, this is my personal opinion about that. The time to stop in-person services is now. Um, so I don't, I think your time in our brick and mortar churches is better off spent um, talking about how to bring your service online as opposed to how to stream an in-person service. Um, the all of the information that we have out there right now is that we need social distancing in order to survive this well. Um, and the only way we do that is by stopping our Sunday morning services. And I know that's hard, I, I get it, um, but put, put your energy into places that are gonna save lives. I think that brings us to Asia Hauser with the final word. I bet you have an opinion about that. Yeah, I'm 100%. Um, so so flatten the curve there's you could google that there's articles about it that what we can do is mitigate and slow the spread of this and give ourselves time it is in your community there aren't enough tests jessica and i are here at the epicenter and we know there's thousands more infections than are than even can be tested um i would absolutely agree please stop your in-person services and aaron said this in the beginning also you are you are creating risk and you're creating risk for for the people um, who are the most vulnerable, immunocompromised, along with older folks. So um, it, this, it's about, okay, let's create phone chains. I remember when I was a kid, the PTA had a phone chain, right? There were, you got to call 20 people and people did it. Um, so we can do that again, go old school along with the computer. Um, let's write letters again, get stamps. Maybe that could be your outing for the day and let's write letters. So um, I really appreciate this, Meg. I just want to honor you for how you've um, just expanded CLF to be so very inclusive and diverse and accessible. And I adore you. And I really want to just um, honor you for even today's show. We're like, can we go over an hour? You're like, absolutely. So I love you, Meg. Thank you all so much. And uh, stay safe and don't underestimate this because we could take care of each other. It's not about panicking. It's about flattening the curve. Thank you. Thank you, Aisha. See, see you all next week and we will go on with this. Thank you so much to our guests. It's a really good show. Bye. This has been an episode of The View. If you would like to learn more about the CLF, visit Quest for me.